Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you're encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Today, I'm going to be bringing, uh, continuing in our series that I started a couple weeks ago about what in the world is going on. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 7. Last week, we finished up in Revelation chapter 6. And so when I started this series, What in the World is Going On?, most of you that have looked at Revelation know that this is deeper and wider than, I mean, if I preached probably even on one chapter, I could probably do it for years, the scope, the depth of these verses. Uh, Many, many theologians, much smarter than I, much more studious, have looked at this and studied Revelation over the years. And even now, we don't fully know or comprehend everything that is contained within. It's so deep and so vast. And there's things that have just changed over the years. And of course, with the book of Daniel, gave us a a glimpse or a part, but then Revelation kind of gives us more of the story. I saw this this week and I wanted to, to share it with you. Bible prophecy is not to scare you, but to prepare you. And I told you as a teenager, I was afraid to even open the book. I never read it. I, even as a child, it scared me. I just was afraid of this last book of the Bible. But it's not there to scare you, but to prepare you. If you're scared, you're not prepared. So that was a really good take on that because God always gives us the warnings and he wants us to be prepared and he wants us to know what's gonna happen So this is just finishing. No, I want to say that when the Bible was written, it was not written in chapters and verses that was added later, so they were in paragraphs, or a lot of times now we'll have where someone will just take a verse, but it kind of is out of context. But the Bible was written in paragraphs, and it was written in chapters and things. So we've put the numbers on, but it's letters, and it's contained. So we're finishing chapter six, and remember the question that Jesus, or they ask at the end is, who can stand, who can endure? Chapter seven is going to, pick up on the thoughts of that at the end of chapter six. The lamb, last week we looked at, has opened six of the seven seals. And the first four seals brought forth a horse and a rider. He opened six of the seven seals to catastrophic consequences that have happened thus far. Today at chapter seven. The number seven, many of you that do study Bible prophecy or are into, into that, know that the number seven is usually acquainted with perfection and completion as God created everything in seven days. As we continue in Revelation, if you look, if you skip ahead or if you read ahead, there will, we'll looked at seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. So we continually keep seeing the number seven that comes up. And we're reading chapter seven today as well. So verse one, after this, and remember John is recording what he's seeing and hearing. He says, I saw four angels. Say four angels. Four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or in the sea or any tree. I had shared with you guys, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at um, September 11th when it happened in the States. But I remember that day because we were over a major um, air route. So, I mean, there would be a plane every couple of minutes or so. And that day there was no flights they had locked down when all that happened in New York, uh, September 11th, and, there, and it was weird to look into the sky knowing there were no planes. Everything was locked down. Here it says that there is going to be no wind, 
You're not going to get your kite out that day and be able to fly it. These angels are standing at the four corners, holding back the four winds of the earth. Angels here are associated with the forces of nature. In the scriptures, it talks about here, wind, it talks about fire and water. Here, the stopping of the wind creates a lull before the storm. It's like the calm before things are going to happen because the seventh seal is getting ready to open. But note this, that God is in control of everything. And like I said, sometimes if you just read it, it sounds so fear-inducing. It sounds like we should be afraid. But remember, this was written to encourage the church. We know what is about to transpire as the seventh seal. This is the final seal before the scroll is opened. Verse two, and I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, holding the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So there's, again, he's using word pictures. He sees four angels holding the winds. And he tells, another angel says, hold on, hold on. We have to go and seal those bondservants of our God before you harm the trees, before you harm the sea. And the wind comes. Seals, in described in the Bible, often indicate ownership or protection. They tell the angels to wait until they seal the number that is given This is encouraging, friends, that as believers, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit today. And in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says this, it will be on the screen. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So here it's talking about the process. In the process of coming to faith, we first hear the gospel of salvation. Remember as we're encouraged to go and tell the whole world about Jesus Christ. And it says, how will they know if someone's not sent? How will they hear? People need to hear the gospel of salvation. So we hear the gospel of salvation, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. Then we believe the truth. So sometimes people hear what you say. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard the term. I've heard the expression. Thank you, but no. But here, if we hear it and we believe the truth, we come to faith. When we believe, it says we are sealed with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, And this is what's neat in it. It signifies a finished transaction. Sherry works in the bank. She knows about transactions. Sometimes a customer comes up. He has one transaction or she, a deposit, maybe a withdrawal. Sometimes they have many transactions. This signifies a finished transaction. Important legal documents today are stamped with an official seal when the transaction is completed. For instance, when a loan is paid off, often the deed or the title has a legally stamped seal. 
This implies ownership. And I remember in the States, we had paid off a car that we had a loan on, and they give you the official title because at the time before that, the bank held the title. But when you pay it off, they seal it, and it becomes yours, and it's a legal document that it is yours. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. God is, is sealing us in him. This implies ownership. And as I said, the, the message today, God has purchased us. He's redeemed us. He has purchased us to be his own. The seal also means safety and security. When the Roman soldiers sealed the tomb that they placed Jesus in, they were placing their seal, giving authenticity to the securing of the tomb. So they sealed that tomb and put their mark so that that seal, when they could check it, was un if the seal was unbroken, then it was still safe and secure. The presence of the Holy Spirit shows that the believer is genuine. He seals us, it says in, in there, in him. And it's like the expression or the connotation is, and I don't know if they would have the expression here, but like earnest money. Like for instance, in the States, if you want to buy a house, you put up earnest money that lets the buyer know that you're serious about buying their house. And it's, it's something that you put up front. It's something that you're, you're not just saying, oh yeah, I'll take that house, but you're actually putting some money in to say, yeah, it's like your deposit. That's what the Holy Spirit has done. He's given us all these promises and this seal that he gives us today is like that promise or that he is going to complete the transaction. He's not going to just, just say it. It's not lip service, but he's going to fulfill what he meant. So verse four, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000, it says, from the 12 tribes. And there are many people who've looked into this and what it could signify. I'm just taking it at face value. There's 12,000 sealed from 12 tribes. I know that there was also 12 apostles and the number 12 in there, but this is what it says, that there was 12,000 from 12 tribes and they're Jewish. This seal will guard those chosen from the harm that will come to the earth and sea that the angels are holding back. They will receive the Father's name as the seal and it will contrast the mark of the beast, we've heard that expression, that will be forced upon everyone else by the Antichrist. God has always had in every age, a remnant that stayed faithful to him. And thank God. You know, they talk about that there's 10 tribes that are lost, that as the, uh, Israel was taken away to Babylon and Assyria, that there was tribes that were lost. God still knows who belongs to what tribe. Even today, some people don't know what their affiliation is, but God knows he's always had a remnant. In Elijah's day, if you remember the prophet Elijah, he thought he was the only one that was left and God said, I have 7,000 who have not bowed their knee. I have 7,000 who have remained loyal and obedient. These 144,000 will be witnesses for God during the tribulation, leading an innumerable amount of people to faith in Christ. What mercy and grace of God. This is where it says that the seals are breaking, wrath is being poured out, and we have a number that no one can count. We're going to um, skip ahead, but in Matthew 24, Jesus says this, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So these 144,000 are going out as a witness. Verse nine, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count. 
So this isn't even fuzzy maths. This isn't even guesstimation. It says there was a number that no one could count from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Again, if you can just even picture it in your mind, I mean, I don't know what's the largest crowd you've ever seen. I know for, for us, the first time we ever went to New York City, it was literally, the only way I could describe it was a sea of people. The pavements were just, I mean, I was thinking there's no way, even if I could spend an hour trying to count, just a mass amount of people. I've seen uh, concert footage where I think they said like 120,000 people were in the crowd. This is multiple, multiple millions that no one could even count. And they're saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb died to redeem. And redeem means to buy back. So it's something like if you've ever sold somebody something, I remember as a little kid we would trade uh, Star Wars toys and then you'd want that one back and you'd have to kind of buy it back. The Lamb died to redeem, to buy back or to purchase, to free from captivity by ransom or payment. So it's not a free thing. He paid that cost. He paid the ransom. He did it to redeem people from every tribe and nation of the whole world. That is absolutely astounding. The Great Commission will here be fulfilled as we here in our time are commanded to go into the, all the world and preach the gospel. This will be that starting to be fulfilled. Those saved during the Great Tribulation will do so at the cost of their very lives. Those without the mark of the beast that it talks about being able to buy or sell, unless you have this mark, it says you have to have it to buy, to sell. There'll be no bartering, there'll be no trading. It will be like martial law. Those without it won't have the most basic necessities. But for there, it says recorded in scripture, for people to be finding salvation at this time is remarkable. These people at this time mean business with God. This is not a maybe, this is if you do not accept this mark, this, this thing that will enable you to buy or sell, they will lose their lives for the sake of Christ. Here it talks about them holding palm branches. Palm branches were a symbol of victory. And it shows this great multitude celebrating a great victory over the evil one. The palm branches remind us when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they waved the palm branches, we still celebrate some churches on Palm Sunday. And it's that triumphal entry that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they're like, here comes our king. They were screaming Hosanna, which means save now. Although Satan has tried everything to stop those preaching the gospel, here we see multitudes that no one could count coming to faith in Christ. Verse 11, and the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. It says, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen. That means so be it. Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Again, can you just picture it? He's seeing the scene in heaven. 
tens of millions, I don't know, an, an, a number he can't count, and they're worshiping before the lamb, holding palm branches. This is such a glorious thing that he's seeing. God is the source of salvation and no one else. Salvation isn't something that we earn. It's something that God gives to anyone who believes in and confesses Jesus Christ. A lot of times we think we have to earn it. We have to do these works. We have to do these things to earn it. It is a free gift of God. Continuing on, verse 13. Then one of the elders responded, saying to me, remember, John is witnessing this. And he says, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And here's another example of his wisdom. He, he said, Lord, you know. He don't even try to guess. He don't even suppose. He says, Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Again, just picture this, seeing all this multitude, white robes, this vast multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation. They are rescued for God out of the great tribulation. The number that no one could count and so many people is a powerful testimony of God's grace and mercy. Again, God's wrath is being poured out and salvation is still happening. In fact, Tremendous salvation is happening worldwide. And even though judgment and wrath are coming, many are saved. For them to come out of the great tribulation means that they were in it. You can't come out of something unless you're in it. Their white robes also symbolize victory. So he sees them with white robes and palm branches. It says this in Isaiah 1.18, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I know that that was always a, a strange expression when it talks about, we would sing that old hymn, washed by the blood of the lamb. Are you washed in the blood? And that's like a, a very strange concept. And so for people that are unchurched, that is a very strange concept. But we know what it implies, that we're cleansed even if our sins be as scarlet, even if we've done the most horrific things, we can be forgiven. Verse 15, and I'll be closing soon. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. They've come out of the great tribulation and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. That is a beautiful picture. In heaven, those saved will enjoy the immediate presence of God. They come right before the throne and are with God. They're not in an outer chamber as we talked about with Sterling Castle. We learned how there's these different chambers before you come into the presence of the king. There would be the outer chamber, the inner chamber, and then the bed chamber. And it was that, that uh, procession of being in the inner circle. Here they're right before the throne of God. They're right there with him. These believers knew affliction on earth and they triumphed over it. But it wasn't their affliction that saved them. It was Jesus Christ and their faith in him. Verse 16, they will no longer hunger nor thirst, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So he's seeing this chronological thing happen and he's seeing them before the throne 
in heaven, we will know no more sorrow or pain. Thank God. There are some people that we've met over the years who just have chronic pain or they just have disabilities or things. There we will know no more sorrow or pain. The struggle and pain of this earthly life are gone and tears are a thing of the past because God will wipe away every tear. Doesn't say he sends his angels to wipe away tears. It says he will wipe away every tear. For this verse to mention that they will no longer hunger or thirst or be scorched by the sun must mean that this does happen. Though sorrow, it says in the scriptures, though sorrow may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. So they will know some hunger and thirst and some pain. But here we see them redeemed. We see them before God with the tears being wiped from their eyes. What amazing love. It's like a picture of a loving mother wiping the tears away from the child's cheek who's maybe just skinned their knee or something. God loves us with that kind of compassionate love. Every tear wiped away in heaven. On, on earth, we all have our share of pain and tears and trouble to endure. He loves us now and gives us mercy and strength for our tears. But one day, friends, in heaven, he will wipe them away forever. And again, this is to encourage us. Just a few things to note about this multitude. And this multitude, it says they were accepted they weren't waiting in an outer chamber. They were accepted and could come before the throne. They were accepted. They were joyful. They came, trust me, it says some of the horrific things that'll happen in those seals. They came out of that great tribulation. The one where Jesus said, no trouble has ever been like this, nor will be again. And it says they're joyful. Here singing praises to the Father and to the Lamb, starting a chorus that everyone joined in. Do you guys remember a couple of years ago when uh, at stadiums the, the wave would come in? People would start the wave and then you'd see it go around. Like imagine this, this group starts to sing before the Lamb and it says the 24 elders and the angels join in and they all fall down. That'd be pretty interesting starting that song. But they're joyful, singing praises. They're not cursing God and saying, why did you have us endure this? They're pra praising Him. Lastly, they were rewarded and it says that they were near the throne and served God day and night in his temple. The opening of the seventh seal will introduce the seven trumpet judgments and the wrath of God will increase in intensity and scope. But it says this in Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you say it, chapter three, verse two, that in wrath, God remembers mercy. Our God is a God of mercy, tremendous mercy, Multitudes will still come to accept Christ even through these terrible times. So friends, we have been redeemed through faith in Christ. We've been purchased through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are being redeemed as the Spirit works in our lives to make us more like Christ. So he's also taking us through that process. We're redeemed, we're being redeemed, and we shall be redeemed when Christ returns and we become like him if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, do so now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. When we were ministering years ago in Dominican Republic, it was the first time I've ever encountered this. We would be on the street and we were doing our presentation. We were talking with people and they would say to me, sir, I believe everything that you're saying. I believe that there's a heaven. I believe that there's a hell. I believe I need Jesus. But tomorrow... 
And I'm just like, but do you understand? We're, we're not guaranteed it tomorrow. We're not guaranteed it tomorrow. We, and and I, I remember asking the missionary, like, please help me understand. But it was just the mindset that they wanted to get their lives together. They wanted to maybe stop doing what they were doing and, and do things first before they would come to Christ. And I'm like, but today's the day of salvation. We are not guaranteed it tomorrow. So do so now. And friends, if you have trusted him and you are a, a believer in Christ, share the good news of salvation with others to save them from the wrath to come. Friends, if we believe this, if we believe that this wrath is coming and, and all this is gonna happen, it should have us, especially if we believe that a time is short, it should have us sharing our faith with others. And that love is our motivation because we love them. We want to tell people the truth. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.